Yeah, it's been a while since I uh, preached. I think since Jeremy was candidating. Did you get my latest text? Yeah, so, you know, everybody kind of noticed that I was dressed different. I clean up a little bit compared to what do I look like at work there? There was, that's at 60 feet. That was a seven foot diameter cottonwood in uh, Baraboo we took out uh, last, two week, two week, last, a week ago Thursday and then last Thursday we took the big wood. So uh, yeah, I was a little dirtier there. Uh, I don't wear this at work, but uh, I asked Lisa, I, I was looking for my power tie, my red tie. She goes, why don't you put on your like soft, nice yellow tie, your friendly tie. <laughs> so I compromised with gold. Well, you know, a lot's happened since I, I last preached. Um, one significant thing is I talked Lisa into getting a puppy. There you go. That was in the airport in, uh, in uh, Arizona, and we, uh, we picked that up. She came back on the plane with us under the seat, didn't, didn't make a sound. The guy next to us at the end of the flight, he goes, yeah, there's like three dogs on board. I go, yeah, one's right there. He's like, wow. <laughs> but uh, uh, since then, uh, it's grown. And... Uh, <laughs> It loves Lisa, and, uh, and she loves it, which she says emphatically, it's your fault. So that brings us to our topic today of forgiveness, which when this little lovely thing passes away, I am in trouble. So she says, 13 years, anything I want. So that's the, that's the payment of a puppy. The problem of forgiveness. I, I'll, I'm going to kind of bring you through the process of where that title came from. I've been, uh, you know, I, I've been a heavy reader all through the years uh, with different affiliations that I've had. And I'm, I've discovered Audible lately. Anybody an Audible member? I know Amazon's like, a, you know, a monopoly, but Audible is a pretty good little product, and uh, you can pretty much get just about any. I mean, Amazon's first gig was every book in the world, right? And so uh, I do a lot of listening uh, to different books. That's kind of a anybody auditory. I mean, it's a great great way to learn. I, I list. I've got the whole New American Standard Bible on Audible for one unit. You know, fourteen bucks. And it's 15 different sections, you know, and it's Stephen B. Stevens reading it. And he's got a voice like this. I can't even get that low. You know, at first, and his enunciation is perfect. At first, it was almost strange. And then, you know, later, it's like, oh, this is kind of soothing. So every morning, and I got through the whole Bible in, in 2018. And, uh, and I'm going to do that every year. Because it was kind of neat. Auditory, I'm, I'm an auditory learner. And so, all of a sudden, it's like, that's where that is, you know, because I knew I was in the third chapter of Titus, and a little verse came up, and it, now I know where that was, but I always knew it was there somewhere, you know, but now I knew where it was, and that happened all through the Bible, 
that, that I was able to identify different things like that. So you, I, and I just think back and think, what if I had done that for the last 20 years? You know, I mean, it's a, it's a neat thing. It's, it's so easy. Um, every once in a while, you know, you drift off and you have to go back <laughs> and listen to it again. But that can happen when you're reading, too. All of a sudden, your forehead hits the table. <clears throat> but I picked up, I, I was in Jeremy's office uh, a few weeks ago. We were talking about this sermon and thinking about different ideas. And, and on his desk was a book by Ravi Zacharias and Vince uh, Vitale on why suffering. And he says, yeah, they, they bring up some new apologetic arguments in there. And, and i and looking at it, and you know, I walked out and I typed in audible, why suffering? There it was. <laughs> Read by Ravi Zacharias and Vince Vitale. That's kind of cool. You get the actual authors and who can't listen to Ravi, right? I mean, it's just so, so, so refreshing. But uh, why suffering? And, and basically, it's an apologetic of does God exist? Because that's one of the biggest you know, atheistic arguments is if there's a righteous, loving God, why is there so much suffering in the world? And of course, through that course, they referenced C.S. Lewis's classic, The Problem of Pain. And they, they made an analogy there. They said if, if you, you know, read The Problem of Pain early in C.S. Lewis's life, it's very logical, you know, structured, and then you read A Grief Observed, which are his memoirs after his wife died. And the contrast between the logic and the pain from the same individual. And so I listened to The Problem of Pain, and then I listened to A Grief Observed. And that was an experience. Uh, and, and, and audibly, you could, it was read by like a 60-year-old Englishman. So it's like you're listening to C.S. Lewis. And uh, that was a very neat experience. I'd recommend it if you want to follow my path to this. And uh, then I listened through The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. And The, the Weight of Glory and, and other addresses, it's, it's different sermons that he did. And The Weight of Glory is the feature one, it's the first one, uh, which has some incredible uh, notes in it. But uh, in his last one, he actually has one on forgiveness in there, which is very helpful for what I'm doing today. And he had another one called The Slip of the Tongue. And he opens that one up and he says, When a layman has to preach a sermon, I think he is most likely to be useful or even interesting if he starts exactly from where he is himself, not so much presuming to instruct as comparing notes. And that's kind of what I'm doing for you right now, is showing you my notes, you know, where I came from. It's just one of you. And, and, ex, and experiencing God and, and, and His Word and, and trying to come up with some, some ideas in my head on, on forgiveness. And, uh, you know, at moments like this, it, it's when I think of Psalm uh, 19, verse 14. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to You, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. But ironically, it's at a moment such as this, when the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are most likely to be pleasing to God. It's all those other moments. When I'm not in front of people, when I'm not thinking about God, when the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart might not be not only not acceptable to God, but not something I want my grandson to repeat to his mother. 
You get that little phone call? Hey, Dad, I'm just wondering how Reuben is saying this. I don't want that call. But that's me. That's somewhere where I'm at, right? Something that I'm working on. And so that kind of makes me reflect on, you know, who, who I am, who am I day to day uh, in good times and bad. And uh, it reminds me of I, another thing I listened to recently, and I, I read it actually uh, a little while ago. It was a short little book uh, by Brother Lawrence, 1600s. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis recommends you, you should read a couple old books every once in a while for all the new ones. The ones that were tested, time-tested. And Brother Lawrence, has anyone read... Uh, experiencing the presence of God? No one. Brother Lawrence, look it up on Audible. You can listen to it. it. That's got like 20 different ones. You can go through all the samples. Whose voice do I like? There's some dumb ones, and there's some good ones. So I, found, I, I did a couple. They were like five bucks. So I didn't use a unit for 14. I, I did the five bucks. I got a couple of them. I liked one better than the other, but experiencing the presence of God, it's, it's that idea, the practice of the presence of God is actually what it is. And it was just a simple thing. He was a, actually post-Reformation monk. He, he's Catholic, but he had an incredible idea that you just experience God all the time. I mean, whether you're working hustle-bustle in your job or whether you're taking communion, it's all the same. And his testimony followed him that way. And even up till he was 80 years old, he died when he was 80. And he had this incredible reputation that he was just always experiencing the presence of God. And it's a really neat thing that will cause you to reflect. So if you want to follow that path, that's available to you. And that brings us to 1 John 1.9. How convenient. Something we review every week is something on the topic today on the problem of forgiveness, which we'll discover soon. But let's, let's go to 1 John 1.9. Some of you, can we say it? Do you know it? It's up behind me, probably. <laughs> now I can see what's behind me. It's out in front of me. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's eight. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us from just the sins we confess? No, from all unrighteousness. We're a forgetful lot. And uh, C.S. Lewis brings up, sometimes when we confess our sins, we're more uh, acknowledging our excuses to God. Have you ever done that? You know, if something's 100% excusable, there's no need for forgiveness. Wouldn't that be true? And we give our excuses to God, but you know, the problem is, it's that bit that's left over. <laughs> the bit that doesn't have any excuse. The bit that we're 100% responsible for. No matter how small that bit is, that is the bit that we need to confess. And, uh, you know... To give you an idea of where I was at, I want to share a story 
from years ago that was kind of life-altering. It changed how I responded to, to people within my workplace and, and stuff. I, I was cleaning up a job. It was end of the day. It was winter time. It was getting dark. And I'm rushing around, and I'm, I'm doing stuff. I took a phone call. And to this day, I can't remember what that phone call was, but it was something that occupied my mind pretty heavily at the time. And I, I'm finishing doing what I'm doing. I'm on the phone, and, and then you know, I get in the truck, and I, I take off. And I'm thinking about that, that call, and, and uh, I'm about 15 minutes down the road. And I look in my rearview mirror, and you know, my chipper tire is visible, like right down the corner, the back corner of the truck. Just there's this little sliver, this little triangle. You can see the chipper tire. And I happen to look in the rear view mirror, and I don't see that tire. I'm like, I know I had the chipper. I'm, I'm, is it sure? You know, because it's it's kind of hiding back there. You can't really see, but I I don't see. I don't think I have my chipper. It's a ten thousand pound chipper. I can't explain to you the feeling. I had in my gut at that moment. I can't transfer that to you. Maybe Jerry can think. Because he's been on the road where, I mean, he knows what a 10,000-pound piece of equipment by itself on the road. I'm on the freeway. I'm thinking, worst case scenario, I'm going to prison. Really, negligent death. I'm two miles from the next exit. It's just this harrowing. I I get up there, take the exit. I take the left-hand turn. I do not have my chipper. Now I can see I'm taking the turn. I get back on. I'm just 15 minutes from where I started. I'm, can you imagine me looking at the road? Like, where is it? Where is it? And I get all, I'm almost, I'm taking the last turn on this quiet road back to where I go. I get to the last intersection, which would have been the first one that I arrived at. And there it is. Quietly nestled. By a cemetery, bunch of dead people. I'm not responsible for any of them. <laughs> no ditch, nothing, perfectly flat. Put the chain on, drag it out, hook it up. I cannot transfer to you the feeling of grace at that very moment that I had. All that emotion, all of a sudden, whew, been forgiven. This is the problem. Of forgiveness. Turn to Matthew 6. This is the Lord's Prayer. We can just start, we can skip along to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For if you forgive others, For their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Pretty plain English. Plain in the Greek. There's a consequence. You know, since that experience, employees have made mistakes. I didn't yell at them. Nothing you've done. Could be what I did. Everything okay? Everything's okay. A little something's broken? No worry. Nobody's dead. 
It changed how I responded to people because I knew what I'd been forgiven. And this is the, the problem of forgiveness is that we've been forgiven so much. How could we hold resentment against somebody else? What do we have? We've been forgiven everything. How could we be resentful? And yet, resentment is something that, that does exist. But it, according to this, now is this our, for, our sins will not be forgiven? Does this mean that we lose our salvation? Do you think this might be similar to the idea in 1 John 1.9? If we confess. So if we don't confess, do we not go to heaven? No, but what, what's the consequence? What's that? Lack of fellowship with who? Lack of fellowship with God. If we don't have fellowship with God, what might we lose? Reward. Reward. And so let's go to 1 Peter 2, 20-25. This will be simple. We're just going to share my notes on my walk through this topic. 1 Peter 2, verses 20-25. through For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges right righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might do die to sin and live to righteousness for that for by his wounds we were healed christ is our example you know the uh the the relation between pain and forgiveness is that you know when you're bitter you're you're resentful towards someone it probably has something to do with pain would you agree? Somebody caused pain. And somebody is going to pay. And that, that's what... If, if, now think of that. If, if you're holding resentment against someone, you may be out of fellowship for all that time. Just because you're holding that against them. It's something to consider. 1 Peter 3, verse 7 and... Technically, 7 to 18. I just share 7. It's kind of its own paragraph. Uh, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You know, to not honor our wives, men, may hinder our prayers. I imagine it works in reverse, too, wives. If you don't respect your husbands, and there's friction in the marriage, you may not be in fellowship with God. Something to think about. Something to think about. To sum up, all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil, or insult for insult, but giving 
a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring to us God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Again and again in in these passages, it's coming through the price that Christ has paid for our sin, what we've been forgiven. We have to forgive like that. That's our example. Let's go to uh, 1 Peter 4. Walking through 1 Peter. I told uh, Pastor Jeremy I was you know, studying 1 Peter recently. Eli and I are trying, trying to get together to study 1 Peter. I said I could preach on 1 Peter like an intro. He goes, well, then you uh, probably won't get to preach the rest of it. Insinuating that he's not going to let me preach for a long time. <laughs> but I'm getting him anyways because I'm walking through First Peter. <laughs> What's that? I've got the mic. There you go. First Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be, be, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength of which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look at the, the, the benefits, the, the encouragement here to be a hospitable to one another. You know, um, let's go to Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. This, this is a, one of my favorite passages. Wondering why I'm having trouble reading. Age. And you know, once you start using these things, it's over. It's like, you're never going to see again. Verse 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know, I often use words according to the need of the moment. <laughs> may not be edifying, but they relate to the moment, in my opinion. 
Let no unwholesome word, let me repeat, proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. That's the first qualification. Good for edification according to the need of the moment. So that it will give grace to those who hear. If we're fuming and bitter, it doesn't give grace. It it brings tension. My dog can tell me that. She like gets up and leaves the room. <laughs> Lisa says, "You're upsetting the dog." <laughs> <coughs> Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God or your dog. It might be a good, you know, litmus test. By whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Kind of covers them all. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The problem of forgiveness. We've been forgiven so much. How can we hold a grudge? Let's jump back to First Peter. This is chapter four, one through three. It's kind of the preceding of the last passage that we had. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. You know, uh, bitterness is the way of the world. They got it coming. You know? It's, It's what they expect. What a great way to witness is if they've got it coming and you don't give it. You could give grace instead of of bitterness. Um, Philippians 4. This this reminds me of a a story that was told as true of an Irish woman named Biddy who, of leaving confession, met on the steps of the chapel the other woman who was her mortal enemy in the village, who upon seeing Biddy unleashed with a torrent of abuse, to which Biddy responded, What a shame for you, talking to me like that, you coward. And me being in a state of grace such as I can't answer you. (laughs) But you wait, I won't be in a state of grace for long. Yeah, it's like the Terminator. I'll be back. Don't you worry about that confession back there. You're going in. I'm going to get you on the way out. Yeah. Do you do that? Here's a passage on, oftentimes you forget in Philippians 4 that it's, it's these two women that I just described. That they're, they're struggling against each other, and there's conflict. And uh, 
and he's asking that, that they work together with these two women to, to calm the storm. And, and verse 4 and following come out of that context of conflict. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and have anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. All of that has context towards relationships and conflict. Are you bitter? Rejoice in the Lord. It's like, it's like uh, practicing the presence of God. If God were right there, would you say or do what you were about to say or do? Uh, there's another uh, example in the weight of glory in the final address, a slip of the tongue. It's a quote from, uh, or a paraphrase from Anthony Trollope's last chronicle. The archdeacon was angry with his eldest son. He at once made a number of legal arrangements to the son's disadvantage. They could have easily been made a few days later, but Trollope explains why the archdeacon would not wait. To reach the next day, he had to pass through his evening prayers, and he knew that he might not be able to carry out his hostile plan safely through the clause. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. So he got in first. He decided to present God with a fate accompli. What's done is done. Oops, forgive me of my sin. Have you ever tried to secure the temporal before you entered the presence of the eternal? Have you ever tried to get in first? It's like the prodigal son, you know? He had to go get his. He was afraid he wouldn't experience life. Do you do that on a different level? Let's see what we, we have a potential to sacrifice by doing so. Let's go to First Peter. I'm gonna I'm gonna get one up on Jeremy by finishing timely. He'll get the point across. I'm sorry, second Peter. Did I say First Peter? I didn't have my glasses on. Can't read my writing. Those two lines look like one. 5 through 11. First Peter 1, 5 through 11. I love this passage. Uh, this is one I've committed to memory. I, you, sh you should too. Now for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless 
nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. How do we get purified from our former sins? What Christ has done for us in grace. What room is there for our bitterness? For in this way, Okay, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Our eternal reward. You know, in in grace theology, one of the criticisms of grace theology is that it gets... It gives you no, it gives you an excuse to sin, is what they say. That's the, the criticism. Oh, it's just easy grace. There's a lot at stake. Je- Jeremy's alluded to it uh, recently uh, about the, uh, the marriage feast of the Lamb. He made mention that. Perhaps the judgment seat of Christ determines who will actually be there. Or if you don't quite take it there, he had, I, I called him up, I, I called him on that. And I was talking about it, talking it through. And, and he had some other parables that he brought in. He has a, a theological thought. And you can find it in, in Dillo's book. Some of you have gone through some of that book, the 700-page book. You probably haven't gone through it all. But you can find that argument in there. It's... It follows a theological line. There's going to be reward in heaven. And there's going to be lack of reward. You might hypothesize on what that's going to look like. But it's going to look like something. It's going to look like something. If there's reward, there's lack of it. Who comes on riding on white horses with Christ to the battle? Is it everybody? Who's in front? Who's in back? Who's up in the control center? Who's back, you know, doing something? I don't know. It's going to look like something. There's something at stake. Our works have an effect on our eternity in some way, shape, or form. And this verse alludes to that because if if we don't practice those things, we're short-sighted. We're not thinking of eternity. We're thinking of now. We're like the prodigal son. You know, he went off and got his. Remember the the faithful son was all mad and pouty? And his father's like, man, I, I bought Google stock for you at 50 cents. What are you worried about? You get it all? You ever think of that? Have you bought Google stock at 50 cents? <laughs> That'd be a kind of temporal I could deal with. <laughs> but in the eternal, I mean, it, it, that'd, be, that'd be nothing. That's like 100,000% gain. That's nothing compared to eternal reward. And yet, we'll, we'll hang on to the temporal. We'll try to get something, try to get even with someone. We hold a grudge for the temporal. When there's the eternal is at stake, it means something. 
And you know, God, not only uh, will He utilize the, the eternal, but He'll use us in the temporal for the eternal. And maybe you've had something in the past. Maybe you're bitter right now. Maybe you've been bitter for a long time. And you're thinking, you know, I've just lost the opportunity. You know, the opportunity is, isn't lost. Because time is our boundary, but it's not God's. What God can do with someone in their 80s, in the next day or two, could impact eternity in ways we, we can't even fathom. So there is no, you know, the idea that, oh, I've lost all my time. No, today, today you can do something. Let's turn back to Psalm 51. I'm going to read the whole thing. This is David, after Nathan confronted him. That's a story. You're the man. Wow. What's David respond? Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make, know, make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have, have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you you will not despise. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. You know, there's some ironies in Scripture. What happened after Nathan confronted David? What did Nathan said the consequence would be? The child would die. What did David do? Fast as and wept. The child died. What did he do? 
Got up. No morning. Puzzled everybody. What did God do then? Solomon. Solomon was born of Bathsheba. Figure that out. How is that done? The most heinous crime. Sent Uriah back to the field with his own death letter. Took his wife. And from that came the line of Christ. God can do that. What can he do in your life? If you're holding bitterness on someone, I challenge you today. Let that go. Let it go. It's not worth the heavenly treasures that God has for you to hang on to that. What God can do in the time that remains, time already passed, is sufficient. Lord, <clears throat> you whisper to us in our conscience. You speak to us. You shout in our pain. When we experience hardship, when we experience wrongdoing, there's opportunity there. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see day in and day out, and not just now, but three weeks from now, when we're not in a state of grace. Help us think of you then. Help us employ the practice of your presence. You're always there. You see everything. You see our thoughts. Pray, Lord, that, that we would see them. We confess them to you so that our entrance into the eternal kingdom can be abundantly supplied to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.